Welcome to this bonus episode of Mike and Mike Theology Plus. I hope you all are enjoying your Christmas break with friends and family like I am. As I'm recording this intro, my kids are decorating sugar cookies in the background. Welcome back to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, where theology matters. That's good. That's a that's a good plug for it, yeah. our, our Facebook group. That's right. If you don't know, we uh, are two of the moderators in a Facebook group called Theology Matters, uh, where we discuss all things related to theology. So, pretty similar topic to what the podcast is. Yeah, and I think we've got something like a hundred plus members. Or I do. Yeah, we broke one hundred, and we added a couple extra. Uh, Admins and moderators, so shout out to uh, our four other admins and moderators. I don't know if they want their name publicly. Well, we can say Parker, yeah, Caleb, Caleb. Ar- Arnold, Arnold, and, and Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, I, I know them better by their last names, but that's yeah. what we're trying to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is a special Christmas edition of our podcast. So we're going to interrupt our series on soteriology and sovereign grace. So that we can um, talk about Christmas because it's Christmas time. We thought we might go over some myths or some misconceptions that are commonly associated with Christmas. And uh, the first one I have down is December 5th may or may not be Jesus' birthday. What about the 25th? What's that? What about December 25th? What did I say? I think you said the 5th. Oh, I tried to say December 25th. (laughs) Uh, We are not experts. (laughs) But uh, so I I think uh, you've done a little bit of footwork, spade shovel work into this. So do you want to share what you've learned? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to be teaching a Sunday school class for our church this coming Sunday on primarily this with a couple of the other myths. So tonight is a little bit of a rehearsal for us, but... What you'll commonly hear today is that when it comes to Christmas, um, what we absolutely know is December 25th could not possibly have been when Christ was born. We don't know when he was born, but we're, we're real sure it wasn't December 25th. And secondarily, uh, that December 25th is only the date that we picked because Christians were co-opting Saturnalia or the winter solstice from the pagans. Um, and both of those are false. Um, we, we don't know exactly when Christ was born, but I would make the case that December 25th is a fairly reasonable guess. And what's interesting is most people in America probably don't know this because we very much follow Western church traditions. But do you know what Epiphany is? Um. I know. I knew this at one time. Is it the? Is it when the star appears, or no. when the wise? Is it associated with the wise men though? I, I believe Epiphany. I mean, it it means manifestation, and okay. in the Eastern Church, it's January sixth, and that's the date that they celebrate Christmas. That okay. that's the date that they celebrate the birth of Christ. And interestingly enough, how much time elapses between December twenty fifth and January sixth? About two weeks. Actually, it's about twelve days. Twelve days. Has anyone ever heard the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? I have, yeah. Yeah. 
that's where it comes from because in the East and the West, they had these different dates. By the way, both churches claimed that these were apostolic traditions that had been handed down, not we're going to try and fit in with the pagans as they're partying so we can get some partying going on. But the Western and the Eastern churches actually claimed that it was tradition that had been handed down from the apostles. So we got, I think the Western church got it from the 11 and the Eastern church got it from Judas Iscariot. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Joking, only joking. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't know how much stock I put in either as being originally apostolic. But if you go back, there are some data points that we do know that are unrelated to things like pagan culture, the winter solstice, um, that actually lend some credence to the idea of a birth sometime around the turn of our year. So between December 25th and January 6th. Could it have been a little bit earlier or later? Yes. Uh, am I saying absolutely it couldn't have been in April? No, we don't know for sure. But um, early on, probably this was established tradition minimally by 250. But the evidence that we have points to records that we have at that time that transcribe earlier traditions. And so you have, like I said, in the West, the December 25th, and the East, January 6th. And what's interesting is, do you know what the enunciation is? Uh, it's just when you speak a word. Well, that's pronunciation. <laughs> uh, the enunciation is the feast that was held in honor of Gabriel coming to Mary to announce the conception of Christ. You know, a day that's celebrated. No, I don't. But probably like nine months before December 25th? March 25th. Okay, there we go. Yeah, and so you add nine months to that. Thanks for stealing that thunder ahead. We do that to each other all the time, by the way. (laughs) Well, you asked me the question. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the Annunciation very early on, March 25th, and then December 25th as the birth of Christ. Interestingly, and by the way, here I am completely stealing from uh, James White in a Sunday school lesson that I heard him teach, but... Is there anything in Scripture that might actually give us a date for the time of year when Christ was born? Is there, is there any other event that we know? Why well, can think of two things that might give us some dating clues. Okay. Uh, I think probably the one you're thinking of is the decree by Caesar Augustus. Is that what you're thinking of? That's not what I'm thinking of. Okay. Well, so you might say the decree came shortly after Gabriel comes or something, and that's why they move. I, I don't know. The other thing is that I've heard, and so both of these may be wrong, is that there were shepherds, and this is what I've heard some people try to use against the December dating, is that it would be too cold for shepherds to have their flocks out on the plain in like a high desert for that. But I didn't think, I've never been there. So, you know, it could be people who have been there. I didn't think it got that cold in Israel but maybe it does. Um, so the the shepherds I've only heard as an argument against, and certainly their presence is not an argument for December 25th, but it's not a defeater either. Because one, just like most places, the, the weather actually varies, right? And so, um, yeah, they have cold Decembers, but they also have times when it's mild. And if if you have mild weather... And you have the choice of keeping your flock 
in a pen where you're having to feed them with food that you've stored, or it's warm enough that you can take them out into the field and let them eat grass, what are you going to choose? I'm going to choose the grass. I want right. God's food over my food. Right. Yes, God's food is much better. <laughs> uh, and I've also heard people say that, you know, Bethlehem, I looked at a map earlier. It looks like it's somewhere around five or six miles south of Jerusalem, right? So there probably were the sacrificial flocks out in the field year-round, or at least they were kind of available. And Right. I, I've, I have read that. Only the sacrificial flocks would be allowed to be that close to Jerusalem because if everyone had their flocks, it would just be stinky. There'd be no grass and it'd be nasty. So other flocks had to be further around the country. Yeah. So the the, the point is um, people tried to defeat the, the winter date by looking at the flocks, and that's not a defeater at all. There, there are several ways that it could have happened for that to um, have occurred. But actually the there, there is something that's given in Scripture that is specifically related in time to Christ's birth. Oh, the, the, you're talking about the star appearing? I'm talking about his cousin. Oh, uh, John the Baptist? Right. Okay, yeah, so that, no, that's, no, I've never thought about that. So we know that he went into the Holy of Holies. Right. Um, well, and, so how much older was John than Jesus? Uh, six months. Right. And... Again, I'm, I'm borrowing or stealing all of this, but there was a book. I think the guy's name is Beckwith, and he's done a Frank? lot. Um, Francis? Maybe. Francis a, Beckwith? Drawing, uh, maybe I'm drawing a blank. He goes by Frank. If it is that Beckwith. Okay. But, um, anyway, he's looked at the records, and because we know John the Baptist's father and the tribe that he was and when their rotation would have been coming in, uh, you, you can actually kind of back in when Gabriel would have come to see him and when nine months later would have been and then when six months later would have been. And if you kind of carry that out, you end up with a range of time that just so happens to fall for Christ's birth right between December 25th and January 6th. Hmm. That's interesting. So I had heard that it could be um, more milder times of the year, like late October, um, which is a very good time of year for some people's birthdays. But but you're saying it's, it's um, probably not. So we're not sure that it's December 25th. However, I'm positive it was not. You can't get my birthday. <laughs> Why? People will send you gifts. It's, well, it's October. Yeah, somewhere around there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to blank the audio there? Yeah, it's going to be the first black bar over a mouth in our podcast history. Uh, yeah, so um, again, does it really matter? No. Um, as far as the date, um, it, what matters to me is... People are trying to undermine Christmas. I think that's a bigger point. Because they're trying to say, all you guys were doing was glomming on to pagan rituals and pagan practices and pagan holidays, which given how early these dates come in, this was a hundred years or more before the peace of the church that Constantine brings. This was when Christianity was under threat of persecution empire-wide. Not that that happened until 250, but... Throughout the empire, Christians could experience persecution at any time, specifically because of the religion that they were following. So the idea that they wanted more exposure, but just to blend in with, I mean, it, it, it really just doesn't hold water, right? There, 
And, and if you if you kind of look at the trajectory of Christianity and paganism during this time period, Christianity is flourishing and growing. Yes, it's under threat of persecution, but God is growing His church. And as the Roman state begins its decline, so too does paganism begin its decline. And, and the argument is that Christianity then is trying to mimic dying religions that are in so many ways antithetical to their core. I mean, it, it just when when you start pulling apart the arguments, it doesn't make any sense at all, right? right? So. Um, and by the way, the winter solstice, December 21st or 22nd. And they knew that in the ancient world. I mean, that, that was something that they could measure. So Christians wouldn't have gone four days off. It just Close doesn't, no cigar. Right. I mean, it's, uh, well, we're not going to really celebrate the winter solstice. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. and, and again, to me, the idea of December 25th, Okay, there's some stuff to play with there. But what about January 6th? There, there's nothing there that the pagans were doing, and yet that's the Eastern Church's uh, tradition. I think, I think in the Western Church, we have records back to like 250, and in the Eastern Church, it goes back a little bit earlier to probably around 200. I may have those flipped, but I mean, it just doesn't right. make sense. So, uh, you know, unfortunately... They wanted solstice plus 16. Right. Yeah, because... Yeah, <laughs> Mathematically, that I don't. I don't know. Well, he was born in four BC, and then you square four and get sixteen. There you go. And then turn it. There you go. Yeah. All right. So we're nerds. Yeah. Um, so moving on from that one, we were talking about the hijacking or uh, the taking over of uh, pagan traditions. So another thing that's common is the um, eschewance of Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. There's probably a, a better word than that, but that's the one that came to my mind. The uh, people don't. Some people have tried to steer clear of Christmas trees. Do you have a Christmas tree in your home? Um, no. Under protest, we have. A fake one. No, okay. I just, uh, I, I don't personally enjoy decorating okay. for Christmas. So right. I've told my wife, you can put it up and I'm not going to be involved in putting it up or taking it down. My oldest. And so my this wife is now Mike and Ebenezer. Uh, I <laughs> no, I, so I don't, with I don't mind the Christmas tree. You just hate I you. just don't like the decorating part. And as long as I'm not part of the decorating part, I'm happy for us to have it. Oh, okay. And my wife and my son love the decorating part. I don't know that they love the undecorating part as much, but they love decorating it. So, yes, we, we have one. Uh, it's just if we didn't, that'd be okay with me. Yeah. Well, we have one, too, and, I, and I, I think I would be okay with it, too. I don't know if I'd be as okay as that. I mean, I could manage without it. But uh, so probably when I was mid-teens or something, I heard, well, Christmas trees are pagan. You shouldn't have them in your home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but really what happened was there were some folks who um, revered plants that were evergreen. Everything else is dying, get covered in snow and, you know, holly bushes and, you know, pines and firs and other conifers are staying green. So there, there was there is some truth to that idea that these plants were revered. Some people thought they had some type of special life because they survived through the winter. Whereas the deciduous trees, you know, they, they drop their leaves and they come back. Um, but really how we got 
Christmas trees into our tradition was there was some bishop or some missionary to this Nordic people, and they had trees, um, at least one tree that they believed Thor lived in. It was a large, you know, Christmas tree type shaped tree. I'm, I'm not sure what exact species it was. Um, but he ends up cutting the tree down. The bishop. The bishop. Not does. Thor. Yeah, not Thor. Yeah. <laughs> because just to show them, you know, he's introducing Christianity, and I think they still have these superstitions. He's like, we're just going to get rid of this tree. So they cut it down, and then it's decorated uh, with candles, I believe, which is a little da- dangerous, we know now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Real quick aside. I saw a video on Facebook that said, this is how fast a dry Christmas tree they go can up. go up. 30 seconds, the entire room is engulfed. Yeah. So yeah. PSA, if you have a real one, keep it watered. Right. Or yeah, if you're going to leave, undecorate it and throw it outside or something. Yeah. But, yeah. So anyways, they put candles on it because Jesus was by the world. The, he talked about the Trinity and the triangular shape of the tree. Could rem- Come on, Patrick. Could remind them that uh, God was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So, yeah. I don't think he was using a bad analogy uh, like Lutheran satire does. But. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm actually okay with some kinds of appropriation. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, honestly, I've never used a Christmas tree in a worship service. or I mean, it, it's just a decoration. They were worshiping trees because they thought spirits were in them. We put one up because it's pretty. Right? right. So... Things that may look similar on the outside can have very different meanings. cores and meanings. And so, um, you know, should should we not decorate with evergreen stuff at all? Because at one time, I mean, it, I, I get it. We need to be careful. And if, right. if you are, are worshiping trees, stop. <laughs> but if you're putting up a Christmas tree because it's a traditional thing that we do and it's pretty, I, I just don't see the problem. Yeah. To, to me, there's no spirituality attached to our Christmas tree. At all. Right. And if you do attach spirituality, you're probably attaching it with Christian themes if you're celebrating Christmas. You're probably not. Most people probably didn't even know that Thor supposedly lived in the tree. So as long as you're not, you know, supposing that Thor is there and is going to, you know, hammer you something up nice at the end of the day, I think you're good with your Christmas tree. What if I have a picture of Chris Hemsworth on my Christmas tree? See, I don't even, I don't, I'm guessing that's the guy who plays Thor. I know it's a Hemsworth. I think it's Chris. <laughs> There's a couple of brothers. I'm not sure which one it is. Yeah, I've only. I think I've only seen one of those movies. So I, really, I haven't tracked in They're, the Marvel, like one of DC the Thor or one of the Marvels, all of it together. Wow. I just have not. Okay. I'm more of a. Well, let me tell you. I think they're well done, and I think that um, I think that comic book stories have echoes of truth in them because we understand what heroic is. And I'm not trying to over sanctify it or anything, sure. but I think they're good stories. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I have nothing against them. I'm more of a uh, medieval slash fantasy, so I'm in the Lord of the Rings, Aragon. Well, if Harry you watch Potter. the original Thor, there's actually like a fair bit of stuff that's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. All right, so um, let's hit what two more of these. I, I think we have time for. Um, you mentioned earlier that Jesus was born in 4 BC. Yes. Instead of 0 BC or 1 right. BC or however 
Gregory. Actually, I don't think there was a year zero. Right. Yeah. 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 So do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, I think it was, was it Bishop Usher or was it Gregory or anyway, some monk in the middle ages backed stuff back and came up with a determination for how many years prior to him Christ had been born. And they set a calendar based off of that for Christ to be born in the year zero or one on whatever side. I'm not sure how that would go. And as time passed, that calendar became very entrenched, but then better information came to light and we realized that he was off by about four years. So Jesus was actually born four years before Christ. So it was 4 BC. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So did he die in 2980? Most most resources that I've seen will put down 30 slash 33. So um, he he was he was older then thirty four thirty seven then. Well, I think um, because there's no zero, I think thirty would still make him thirty three. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So they're saying he's either thirty three or thirty six, something like that. Yeah. Now I tend to go with the earlier date because I think um, we're told pretty explicitly that he was about thirty and. That doesn't have to be exactly 30. I think that means at least 30 based on the way they treated age back then. But I tend to think he was 30 when he started his ministry and about 33 when he died in AD 30. I don't think that's a tremendously important point. Yeah. No. Well, it's only important in that as I was, when I was in those years, I would think, okay, you know, you're 30. Jesus is starting his public ministry now, you know, that type of thing. You're 33, you know, what did you just do with your last three years of your life? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I've heard people talk like that. So you, not that I expect. And are they God incarnate? Because <laughs> no, I'm, no. I'm fairly certain he's got resources we don't. I, I agree. I agree. Don't waste your life. I'm not like, right. I, I'm not arguing for not doing good stuff, but right. um There was an article I read not too long ago, very sad story, an African pastor who died because he was trying to fast for 40 days. I I saw that, too. I saw the headline. I don't think I read the article. And and in fact, the quote was that he was trying to beat Jesus. Well, and let's say let's say he fasted for 42 days and survived. I don't still don't think that will qualify for Jesus. There's all kinds of wrong with that. But to me, at baseline, when you're trying to outdo God, eh, right. I, I think you're off to a shaky start, no matter what the outcome is. Yeah, that's, yeah. All right, so um, I think we have time uh, for one more. This is the one we were saving to the end, the uh, whatever that French phrase is. The P.A.D.P.S. Be some resistance. Peace de resistance. <laughs> We're not French. No. <laughs> uh, so um, I have down here, there was no room in the inn. That's right. Because there were no inns. Probably not in Bethlehem. Right. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about this in our Wednesday night class tonight. Um, so that room, that word, not room, that word in should probably more properly be translated guest room Mm -hmm. or upper room. Uh, When you read Luke's account, it says um, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the, 
and we get the, the word translated in. That this is a Greek word kataluma. Um, it's the same Greek word that's used when Jesus is having the Last Supper, and they go and they prepare the kataluma, the upper room. It wasn't the inn. And in fact, in Luke's account of the Good Samaritan, uh, when the Good Samaritan puts the Jewish man who is beaten up in an inn, it's a different word. That's the actual right word for an inn or a hotel at that time. So, and if you read Luke's account, there are lots of clues that the the, the scene that we get in all, like, there's a movie called um, Bethlehem, I think is what it is. No, the Nativity that we watch each year as a family. And well, one of the things it shows them going up through or going down through the desert, they probably would have crossed over the Jordan and gone around Samaria, which is an easier trip. Anyways, they wouldn't have been going through Samaria. So they get that wrong. But then, you know, they, she's huge pregnant. They're getting into Bethlehem. Um, they're trying to find a place. Yeah. Yeah. Can, do you have a spot for us? Do you have a spot for us? Yeah. This like totally misses Jewish culture yeah. because they would have gone to stay with family. That was the culture. It would have been unheard of, unthinkable for them to have stayed in the inn because if it wasn't inn, it would have been a Roman inn because that's what who have built the inns along the Roman roads. Um, and, well, and they wouldn't have done that. He would have shown up and said, "Hi, I'm Joseph of the House of David. Where am I staying?" And they would have taken him somewhere. I mean that that. They just would have made yeah. room. That's how they work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I, I, don't, I don't know that families do this a lot, but I remember being younger and we had family from Michigan visiting and I lost my bed. My, you know, other siblings lost their bed and we were all in cots in the living room. It was me and all my cousins like just lined up in a row. And that's just what you did. It didn't seem weird or anything. I, we don't, I don't think people do that as much today. Maybe they do. No. Well, we have McMansions now. You know? <laughs> yeah. So then the other point was, if you read the text, it says while they were there, the time was accomplished for her to give birth. So the whole idea is they've been here for a while. Right. So it's not like she's struggling to get there. And I mentioned tonight, maybe, you know, maybe they purposely stayed so they wouldn't be on the road when she's given birth. Maybe Gabriel said, and once you get there, stay there because that's where the Messiah is supposed to be born. Yeah. And you mentioned another uh, telltale sign uh, in class. Yeah. Um, so I want to get back to the cave thing because yeah. I think that comes from later tradition that is specifically contradicted by Scripture. But in Luke 2, 17, the, the shepherds are coming to find Mary, Joseph, and the baby. And when they saw him... It, the baby. I don't know why they would translate that it. When they saw, I mean, it's him. We know who it is. Anyway, and when they saw him, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. That very clearly, they're coming to find Mary, Joseph, and the baby. And then they have an all to whom they report this information. So very clearly, there's more people there than you would expect. Right. It, I mean, obviously, the, the, the traditional story is that, you know, the innkeeper's like, no, we don't have any room. Oh, please, don't you have something? And he thinks for a minute, and he's like, well, I've got some room in the stable, you know? And it's like, they're the only people that are getting relegated to it. Right. And it just, it, it doesn't work. Right. 
Yeah, and so houses back then would have had basically three levels. The bottom level would have been a split level for animals, and maybe I've heard a kitchen or a fire that you would have there. And then the animals would be on the lowest level. You'd have this kind of a split there, and that's where your manger would be, your feeding trough. Mm -hmm. And then up on the higher part of the split level, then you would have feed that, that you would pour into the feeding trough. Then your middle level would be like your everyday type living area. And then your upper level would be the upper room or the guest room. And so you can imagine if we are doing a census and every one of David's folks are coming back to Bethlehem to be counted, it's going to be crowded. Mm -hmm. And you probably don't want to have someone given birth in the place where everyone's sleeping that night. So what you're saying is the third floor is like the dining room or the living room with the plastic on the furniture where nobody can like get, <laughs> right. you know, that that's for the nice people. Right. That's for the non messy. Right. Not giving birth people. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Luke just naturally says, because there was no room for them in the Cataluma in the upper room, they lay him in the manger um, where the feeding trough was. So it's a very, I think it's a very natural reading that we've gotten, you know, because this word got translated wrong, probably. In the KJV, is that where, where it comes yeah, where it in? My personal theory is that it was translated in because they understood kind of guest room type of thing. But in the culture of the 1600s, they made an anachronistic mistake. And they just said, well, a guest room is in an inn. And that has just been perpetuated. And, and that translation just kind of keeps getting recycled, even though we have better information right. now. So. Which, which caught, so when I was younger, I was always taught, well, the wise men had to have come much later than the shepherds because Matthew says they enter, they enter the house. Mm. And we know that she didn't give birth in the house. So somehow they found room, but it just makes natural reading of that. Yeah. Um, the wise men show up in Jerusalem. They inquire of Herod. Maybe they weren't there on the first night that he was born, but I don't think it was, I've been to like two years think they get that from Herod killing all the babies that were two years old and younger, but two just means a one and a half year old or a one year old could be considered two. They're mm -hmm. in their second year. Right. So, and, and by the way, Herod wasn't nice. He didn't care. So no, just, Her Herod was not a good guy, but I, I've read, I think it's by David Croteau and it's something like 40 urban legends of the new Testament or something like that. And he deals with Herod's decree and says that, probably there were less than a dozen babies actually killed in that decree by Herod. Cause Bethlehem was not like a highly populated place. Right. right. And this would have been after everyone had come and then dispersed for the census. So, you, I mean, I think we, we commonly have like Roman soldiers running door to door and there's thousands of babies. Right. And, and look, 12 is too many. Right. Right. I, I mean, any more than zero it's an evil action, no matter how many it is. I'm not trying to minimize that, but just trying to make it realistic. Yeah, just you know what what actually happened. Yeah, probably five or ten kids fit that age, and yes, they were massacred by an evil man. Right, but um, you know, and it's not like not that. I, I still, not wanting to downplay it, but it's not as though Herod didn't do evil things all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there's there's another passage. I think it's right around there, and it says something like, "All Jerusalem was troubled because Herod was troubled." 
kind of tells you what how he ruled, right? If he had a bad day, the whole city had a bad day. Not not a good guy. So yeah, and so just to tie in and to, to tie this off, so they the wise men visit a house. The wise men don't visit a cave or a barn. Uh, the shepherds cave. don't visit a cave or a barn. Right. So where did we get this idea of cave? Because I've heard some people like, oh no, it's a cave. Right. Probably not. So um, the earliest record that I know of, and if you know of something more, please contact us, let us know. But the Proto-Evangelium of James, or the Proto-Evangelium of James, um, I believe it, it, it is a Gnostic document. I believe it's from around 250. Uh, it's weird. Um, a lot of it actually deals with Mary's birth and Mary's life. So and this is the one you read last week where the light... Yeah, so so it it covers from prior to Mary's birth with her parents up through the birth of Christ. Okay, and I think it's the source of a lot of our erroneous thoughts about Joseph being an old man who was a widower and he takes her under his wing, but he doesn't have sexual relations with her kind of ever. And uh, just there's a lot of that type of stuff that now has become dogmatized by certain groups. Um. And there's really no evidence that any of it's true from Scripture. But the birth of Christ, they are on their way to Bethlehem, have not arrived in Bethlehem. She's going into labor, so he finds a cave by the side of the road. There's a midwife that comes in, but Jesus, like, beams out of her belly. He's in her belly. There's a bright light. When the light goes away... He's out of her belly. I think it's just the Star Trek transporter. Yeah. Well, and then, <laughs> and then the baby comes up and takes her breast. Right. Right. That's what all newborns do. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's almost like I get the picture of like a two or three year old walking up to mommy. And it, so, I mean, it's just all kinds of a weird document. Right. Um, and then I think it's, uh, Salome comes by and she doesn't believe. And so she does a physical inspection of Mary to see if she's still, in fact, a virgin, which why would she need to be? She had just given birth. But uh, and then her doubting her hand falls off, burning with fire and she prays and repents. And I mean, it, it's just it a, sounds like a reasonable historical document to me. Uh, I think we might have to agree to disagree on that one, Michael. So as far as I know, that's the origin of the cave. cave. Yeah. That's also the origin of the perpetual virginity of Mary, including not just that she didn't have sexual relations with Joseph prior to the birth of Christ, but that she maintained her virginity even in the birth of Christ. Meaning, and I'm not trying to be crude here, but Jesus was not born in a normal physical vaginal delivery, according to Roman Catholic tradition. Yeah. So great. That's good. <laughs> and I don't know where they get that except from this, which was condemned as heretical for hundreds of years before these ideas started kind of creeping into the church over time. So there you go. All right. So there's some Christmas myths for you and Christmas misunderstandings. Uh, so hopefully uh, you and yours have a happy Christmas and a Merry New Year. Yeah. Um, happy Christmas. What are we, British? No, I, uh, I'm i taking a leaf out of uh, Greg Kofel's book. Okay. He purposely says Happy Christmas so it doesn't sound trite. 
So oh, I, okay. I think it, I, I like it. So I, I say it. Well, real my wife says whatever Greg Kochel does, I do, which it, at some level I'm okay with. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit that way with James Lyon. I wasn't going to say his name. Oh, Jimmy? Yeah. Yeah. Uncle Jimmy. <laughs> well, I, he's the guy that introduced me to the protein majelium of James. There Story time with Uncle Jimmy on yeah. the dividing line. Well, okay. Before we go, I feel like we've knocked down a lot of myths and maybe we're feeling a little grinchy type of thing. So I just wanted to take a moment and say Christmas is an amazing holiday that we ought to celebrate. I agree. We, we look in Philippians 2 and we see that Christ existed in the form of God. And he emptied himself. That, that, that was an active, verbal idea that he did. He emptied himself to take on the form of a servant. The, the eternal Son of God took on manhood and flesh so that he could become like us in all ways. And he was born in Bethlehem to die in Jerusalem. It was a full plan of salvation that God the, the Trinity and uh, Trinitarian harmony in the atonement or THIA or whatever it is. I mean, th- this ought to be something that makes our hearts soar because Absolutely. it is the first step in a full life, death and resurrection of perfect righteousness. And it is by that righteousness that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. So, yeah, we, you know, we've, we've kind of knocked down a few um misnomers or myths or whatever, but I love Christmas. I do too. And I'll just add to your Philippians 2 reference. And this, again, I got from Greg Coble, full (laughs) disclosure. He says his favorite Christmas passage in his mind too now is the opening of Hebrews 10, uh, where it's talking about the sacrifices. They can't do anything. Sacrifices are merely a picture of what Christ Mm -hmm. came to do. And the bulls couldn't atone for sin. An angel couldn't atone for sin. A goat couldn't atone for sin. It took a human born in the flesh who lived a perfect life, who fulfilled the law to die on our behalf. And uh, Hebrews says, um, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So that tiny baby is preparing to be our Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, yeah, I'm right there with you, my Heart sings uh, along with my mouth uh, during uh, Christmas because I, I enjoy the holiday. I, uh, for me, Christmas starts at Thanksgiving because, you know, you're, all the things you're thankful for. And Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for Christ. So, like, that's the ultimate thing. So, we celebrate Thanksgiving and now we're leading into what I, uh, you know, consider one of the greatest Christmas holidays. Or one of the greatest Christian holidays. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. Easter is the Super Bowl of Christianity. Yeah, but you don't get to Easter without Christmas. That's right. That, I mean, that's the point is we, God did not take on flesh for a day to come down to hang on a cross. Right. He lived a full life for a reason. He was, he was fully faithful to the law of God. He was fully obedient to his father in every point. He was tested as we are. He was a man so he could sympathize with us in our weakness because he became like us in every way, yet without sin. And to be the perfect Adam. Yeah. And so, um, you know, yes, we're knocking down some myths, but I love Christmas and glory in Christmas because it is the incarnation of our God and Savior. All right. Well, with that, we'll sign off. 
Happy Christmas.